0: Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Great to see you, great to be with you again, to be able to uh, study God's word. Hello to all of you who are joining us online. Thanks for making us a part of your holiday weekend and joining with the family. Can you feel the seasons changing? There is hope in Texas. I, I, I looked at the weather coming up this week. It's supposed to be maybe even in the 60s, or chances are, that, now, that's obviously a low, but you can tell fall is coming, seasons are changing. It's school season, which is awesome. Uh, we have now sent both of our boys back to in-person school, which is awesome. Uh, fun fact, it was, this was just funny to me. Uh, we were taking them to meet the teacher, and they were taking our temperatures and stuff at the door, our temperatures, like Jen's, mine's, both boys and everything. They were s- apologizing profusely for all of the protocols that, that they were putting in place, for us to go in, and I'm like, listen, you don't need to apologize for anything. We would jump through 12 fiery hoops if you will just take our son, okay? <laughs> just, just, just please, anything. We just want them to put him back in school, okay? So anyway, uh, so school season is here. Yesterday, if you tuned in at all, football season is here, Praise God, hallelujah. I've been looking forward to that one. He is good and kind. But seasons are, are changing, and all of those seasons, we as Texans, pretty much all of us, look forward to those seasons coming, but there's another season that's upon us, and that's election season. And some people look forward to that, and some people don't. In this election season, I've heard people say often, this is the most important election ever. Now, I I think when people say that, they don't necessarily have in mind all the elections of the past. I mean, they're not thinking of the election of 1860 when slavery was a huge issue and the newly formed Republican Party therefore elected Abraham Lincoln and all of a sudden uh, slavery was uh, abolished. I mean, that, that was a pretty important election if you think about it. Or even 1932 When the Democratic Party got behind FDR and he enacted the New Deal, which was pulling the U.S., at least trying to pull it out of the Great Depression, which today we get our Social Security system from. Pretty big deal. Far-reaching implications. So when somebody says, you know, this is the most important election ever, I don't think they necessarily have history in mind when they make that statement, but... Although this might not be, and only history will tell, if it's the most important election ever, but it is the most urgent one. And because it's the most urgent one, it therefore makes it the most important one. Because the decisions that are made in this election cycle will have a ripple effect, will have far-reaching implications into the future, and only time will tell how far those go, how important this is. And I'm certainly concerned about that. I know you are also. But what I'm even more concerned with are not just the far-reaching implications of this election cycle, but the far-reaching implications inside the church. Because inside the church, I have found Christians to being uh, more at odds with one another than ever before. To the point where I've heard Christians say to other Christians things that they wouldn't say to anybody. To the point where Christians are even questioning other Christians' salvation because of some political ideology or ideas that they have or express or even questions that they ask. And I go, really? Is this election cycle going to divide Christians? Is this election going to divide our church? Let me just state it up front, folks. The enemy is at foot, and he wants nothing more than to divide the church. I'm not saying that things aren't important in the political realm, but what I'm saying is, we've gotta make the main thing the main thing. Because if we handle each other in the way, in our relationships with one another, where we have irreparable damage, then the enemy will have accomplished his purpose. And guess what? There's gonna be another election in four years. And all we've done is torn each other apart. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't believe you want that. So how can we look at this election season, this election cycle, in a way that we are going to be Christian citizens? Christians first, but also citizens of this country. How do we think about this election? How do we talk to one another? Because we are citizens of two kingdoms, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of earth. And We've got to understand not only how we interact in those two kingdoms, but prioritize them correctly so that we can therefore grow as believers and stay unified as a church because the church is the thing that will last. The church is the thing that the gates of hell cannot prevail against as it moves forward. Other things will fall. Nations have fallen. Kings have fallen. Presidents have fallen. All of those things will go by the wayside, but the church will last forever because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so we're gonna put our eyes on him And look at what it means to be a Christian citizen today from Romans chapter 13. So if you would, go ahead and turn there because I wanna read a section that's not going to come up on the screens just so that you can understand. And what I'm gonna do in order to to answer this question, how can we be a Christian citizen in this election cycle? I wanna zoom way out and there's a reason for that. So please just bear with me, follow along. Because uh, the, the first part that you've got to do if you're going to understand how to be a Christian citizen is you have to understand that God has established three institutions that thrive and balance and benefit people. Now the reason why, this is why I'm zooming way out. There are three institutions that God has ordained so that society, so that people can benefit. And they benefit when these three are held in balance. And here's why you gotta start here is because we can't put all of our eggs in one basket. You've got to understand how these three are all in play. So the first one is, is family. And I've given you an R word to all of these just so that you can remember them uh, family. God has instituted the family in order to help people understand relationships. Now, when you think about family and what, what God is trying to do with family, he wants a, a mom and a dad who are committed to each other, that's what he desires, because that relationship reflects the relationship that Christ has with the church. And he wants those, that committed couple to raise up children, to train up children in the way that they should go to teach them the scriptures. See, it's in the security of the family that people understand relationships. If you ask children, and children have been surveyed in this uh, before, if you ask them where do they get their view of God, it comes from their dad. Primarily. That's why the family is instituted to present this secure relationship, this secure uh, foundation for how we are to relate to one another. It's where we understand forgiveness. It's where we understand loyalty. It's where we understand, family is so important that that's why so many familial metaphors are used to talk about our relationship with God. We have God the Father, obviously God the Son. We are called children of God. So many of these familial ideas and metaphors are used Because this is a foundational institution that benefits people when this is held securely. The second one is the church. The church is the second institution that God has. And the job description of the church is redemption. There is no other institution that is supposed to proclaim redemption. We have, as the church, the gospel, And it's our job to not only preserve the gospel and its integrity, doctrinally, we need to put fences around it to say, this is what it is, this is what it isn't, but also proclaim it to people and therefore practice it with one another. That's our job description as a church. And we're going to be talking more about that in the fall because our whole fall series is called The Movement. You see, the church isn't called to join a social movement. The church is the movement to help change society, to help offer the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ and therefore transform hearts and therefore allow those people to transform their communities and societies. It all comes to the church. So the church is the second institution that God has. And then the third one is the government. And the word there is restraint. The government is instituted by God to restrain and therefore punish evil. That's their job description. And Paul lines this out in Romans chapter 13. And that's what I wanted to read uh, with you. So if you'll follow along, Romans chapter 13, verses one to four. He says, let every person, let every person. Now that's important to understand that. He doesn't just say let every Christian. Now it's a Christian's duty as you'll see here, but he says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, then be afraid. For he does not bear the sword, meaning the government, in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath On the wrongdoer. So Paul frames this up as the government is uh, to restrain evil and they don't just carry the sword in vain. They're supposed to enact the sword to basically cut off evil. That's what the government's role is. And he says we should be subject to the government because those are God's servants in place for our good. And now, when you think about this, this is very ironic that Paul is saying this. Paul is writing this to uh, to people who are living under Roman rule. Now, think about Roman rule. Roman rule was anti-Christian. They they weren't pro-Christian. In fact, one of the reasons why they were anti-Christian was because they just didn't understand Christianity. They understood Judaism, but they didn't understand Christianity. They're like, what are these people that love one another, they get together, they share everything they have in common, they sing songs together, they worship somebody that they say is still alive, but we know we killed him. They just didn't understand. And so they weren't a pro-Christian, they were anti-Christian, and in fact, the ruler of the Roman Empire, many Caesars, were so narcissistic that they believed that they were deities, They thought they themselves were God. And Paul says, hey, be subject to those folks. Be subject to those governing authorities. Again, it's ironic that he would say this. And you say, well, maybe that's just Paul because Paul was a Roman citizen, so he's kind of got a foot in both camps. No, even Jesus didn't try to overthrow the government. None of his disciples ever tried to overthrow the government. The government is in place to wield the sword for our good, to restrain and therefore punish evildoers. And he says, if you're doing good, great. And that's what we're obviously called to do as believers. You see, you've got to understand how these three institutions fit together. And I've I've given you on your sermon notes, but it'll come up on the screen, this kind of Venn diagram to show you how these all fit together because I I think this is a helpful picture because they all fit together in some ways. There's an overlap in these, but they are also separate and distinct in many ways. You see, obviously, they overlap. Your, Your family is a part of the church, but we're distinct. It's not the church's job to disciple your children. That's your job. Now, we can equip you and help you do that, but there are things that overlap. There are things that are separate. Uh, the, the government, obviously, the government has a lot of things that we do with our families or do even with the, with the church that allow us to worship freely today. But if the government comes in and then tells us, hey, you can't come to worship services, you can't do this, you can't worship the way that you want to, then we'd go, okay, you've overstepped your bounds. And that's what you see throughout history is these circles converging in places that they shouldn't, drawing back in places that they shouldn't, always needing to be in balance. When they're in balance, that's what benefits society most. And you say, Cody, where's the sweet spot? When do we get there? Not until Revelation chapter 20, unfortunately. It's called the millennial kingdom when Jesus reigns on the earth. And even then, there's still a battle to be fought. But that's the only time. Until then, it's never going to be perfect. We live in a fallen world. But it's helpful to understand that Venn diagram because it helps us gauge our expectations on what each institution is going to provide. You see, one institution cannot fill in the gaps for the other. There's a healthy balance and a healthy overlap. I wanted to read to you Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 in and and thinking about the expectations that we have because Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, but our citizenship as believers is in heaven and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know this is super simple, but just, just think about this verse with me for just a second. If we are citizens of heaven first, then where is our Savior going to come from? That wasn't rhetorical. Okay, if we are citizens of heaven first, then where is our Savior going to come from? Heaven. Our Savior is not going to come from the presidency. Our president will never be our Savior. Our president will never be perfect. Not this election cycle, not the next. Never has been. You see, so we need to understand and gauge our expectations on what we hope will come with this election. And the election after that, and the election after that, and the election after that. And you say, Cody, what if we get a really bad president and he starts pushing against the church? Well, let me tell you where the church is thriving in our world today. China. And let me tell you where the government says that they, that they can't meet. Christians can't meet. China. You, know what? you want to know another place where the church is thriving? India. They're not friendly toward Christians either. The places where the government starts trying to push against the church, the church actually thrives. It's almost like a beach ball that you try to push down in the pool. The more you push, the more power it, it gains and it rises. The church has always been that way throughout history. And so you've got to understand these institutions, how they fit together, but also gauge your expectations. Because the last thing that I want is for us to put all of our eggs in this political and presidential election basket. And if you wake up on November 3rd and your candidate didn't win, then you're depressed. Because we have a citizenship in heaven that supersedes anything that's gonna happen on November 3rd. I mean, is, is this important? Yes, it's important. But it's not ultimate. There's something else that's ultimate and that's our citizenship in heaven. That's our king, the Lord Jesus. You see, you've got to understand how these institutions fit together so that You can gauge your expectations. Once you understand that, then second, you need to allow the church to be the conscience of society and inform your duty as an individual believer. Allow the church to be the conscience of society and inform your duty as a believer. It's it's our job as a church to help equip you, to help equip you to live Uh, the the Christ-honoring life that God has called you to as you follow his son. That's your job. It's our job to equip you to do that. Uh, If you look at Romans chapter 13, verse five, Paul says, therefore, one must be in subjection to the government, not only to avoid God's wrath, which is the sword that that God has given the, the government at the time, He says, but also for the sake of conscience. I find that really interesting because Paul right here, when he's talking about being subject to the government, he's talking about you live in two different kingdoms. There's a kingdom of this world and a kingdom of heaven. You obey the kingdom of this world to avoid the sword and God's wrath and that means, but you also obey the king of heaven for the sake of your conscience. Because we know that ultimately we will be judged according to his standards and what he has called us to do. Conscience is a really interesting thing. I read a quote. I love it. You know, it's, it's, it's how you think. But uh, this quote says, conscience obliges us to be obedient and sets a limit on our obedience. If you have a Christ-honoring conscience, it obliges you to be subject to the government where the government is asking you to be subject, but it also tells you when that line has been crossed, but it's all based on your conscience, and it reminds me of Acts 5.29 when the disciples say, hey, we can't obey man in this way. We've got to obey God, but only your conscience will tell you that. And the only way that your conscience is going to be equipped is through the word of God and the power of his spirit. And that's what the church has been called to equip you to do, is to build your conscience, a God consciousness with the word of God. See, the church as an institution is to guard its independence and maintain its prophetic voice. It is not the church's job to tell you who to vote for. This pulpit will not tell you who to vote for. It's not my job. It's not our job as elders. It's our job to equip you with the word of God and to empower you and inspire you to follow his spirit, which is what I'm gonna tell you to do. I'm gonna equip you to do that. But as soon as we start mixing religion, I'm gonna use religion, and politics, all we've done is dilute the message of the gospel because people then associate a political party with the word of God. And guess what, folks? Love this. Tony Evans once said, Jesus did not come to take sides. He came to take over. And as soon as we start taking sides, we take the focus off the one who came to take over. And people start saying, wait, if I, have to, if, I, if I follow Christ, does that mean I have to do this too? No. We need to equip you to follow Christ. You see, the church as that institution, we have to be independent. We have to do that because we have to maintain our prophetic voice. And when I say prophetic voice, I, I mean like the prophets, the prophets of the Old Testament, who never, <laughs> they spoke for God. That's what a prophet does. And that's what our job is, is to speak for God into issues of culture. We're to speak for God into issues that will affect your families, that will affect your everyday lives so that we can be holy and set apart as God has called us to be in this world, but not of it. As we learned from 1 Peter, as resident aliens, as people who do not belong in this country, but people who belong in another country, a country to come. our our heavenly citizenship that we'll one day see in the Lord. See, that's what he's called us to be. And if we start mixing those things too much, we lose our independence, we lose our prophetic voice. I'll give you a great example. The Church of England. When Henry VIII wanted an annulment for his marriage, Pope wouldn't give it to him. So what does he do? Let's make a, a church that will follow what I want to do. My political beliefs. Because doesn't it make sense? And you know, when you think about it, it's very pragmatic what he wanted to do. He wanted a male heir. That's what he wanted. You go, "Ah, that's pragmatic. Let's align with that. That kind of makes sense for those days. Now the Church of England means nothing. Everything, the, the best thing they do is coronate the queen and do the wedding and stuff like that, which I know people love to watch. But everything right now is with the Church of England is very ecumenical. It's very inclusive of everything. And when it becomes inclusive of everything, it means nothing. In the words of the, the Hamilton musical, if you stand for nothing, then what will you fall for? You watch that? That's a pretty good musical. Yeah. We've got to, the church has to maintain its prophetic voice and its Independence. Now that doesn't mean that you can't act as an individual believer. In fact, that's what you are called to do. See, individual Christians are to live out their conscience as they fulfill their duty in each institution. We're supposed to equip you to live out your Christian duty, how to follow Christ in your family, how to follow Christ in the church, how to follow Christ in your everyday life under the authority of the the governing authorities of the day. It's how to live out that God consciousness. And so, specific to what's going on today, let me tell you how to live out a Christ honoring conscience when voting. I'm I'm gonna tell you, this is the the process I'm going to follow this year in the the next couple of months. So, I hope you follow it as well. First, pray for God's wisdom, guidance, and mercy. Pray for God's wisdom, guidance, and mercy. How much different would all aspects of our lives be if we prayed first? There are so many things that in our world today that don't seem super clear. When things aren't clear, pray. (laughs) Pray. Pray for God's guidance, pray for God's wisdom, pray for our leaders, and I'll, I'll tell you, folks, pray for God's mercy, like, let me, let me be an Old Testament prophet for just a second. Do you know that, that God allowed people, like, like cruel foreign rulers, to rule over his people as a discipline for their sin? Like, have you read the Old Testament? Like, sometimes God's, God allows that to purify his people. Maybe that's what he does with us. I don't know. But we need to pray. We need to pray for God's mercy. We need to pray for his wisdom and guidance. And actually, there's a a national prayer day that's gonna happen on September 26th. There are gonna be a lot of leaders who gather uh, in Washington, D.C. It's a Saturday. I don't know if you pray on Saturdays, but we're gonna pray uh, as a church, and we're gonna encourage you to do that as well. So we're gonna start with prayer, Second, prioritize social issues and allow your faith to inform that order. Prioritize social issues and allow your faith to inform that order. I don't know if you've looked for a place to live lately, but if, when you look for a place to live, you, I don't know if you've noticed, you never find everything you want. You know, when you're looking for a place to live, you're like, man, that has a great kitchen but it doesn't have that little breakfast nook that I wanted, you know? Or that, has, that place has a pool, but it doesn't have as many bedrooms. If you're looking for a place to live, there are always trade-offs that you make. That's why you always prioritize. Okay, well, got, we need this many bedrooms. You know, we can forego the bathrooms, but we need bedrooms, or we need bathrooms, or we need this, or we need that. You prioritize those issues, because there isn't gonna be a perfect place. Same here. Folks, there there isn't gonna be a perfect platform. There isn't gonna be a perfect candidate. There isn't gonna be somebody that ticks every box in this book besides Jesus. And that's who we're waiting for to come back. And he's not coming back to take the presidency. He's coming back to take us home. And so in the meantime, we need to prioritize these issues that are at hand. Make a list, rank them. Let your faith inform that order. And if you wanna be super simple, just because I'm simple-minded, make those priorities the, the, the candidate or the platform that you think best upholds the, what they think of those other God-ordained institutions of family and church. That's a great way, easy way to think about it. Prioritize those two first. And then, sec- and then third, Research political positions and consider what scripture says before listening, listening to candidates. We love to run to the debates, to the news, to all of these blogs and all those things to listen to other people. I don't know if you've noticed, I haven't even mentioned any political candidates yet. I've mentioned praying, prioritizing issues, and then reading your Bible. Research this. Chances are, if it's an issue that you think is near and dear to God's heart as you allow your faith to inform your order, God's probably spoken about it. He probably has something to say about it. And so then go and look at what the word has to say. So then you have a filter to listen to those candidates. And also, please, fact check the things that you read or listen to, please. I've heard arguments, arguments over things that just turned out to not even be true. Let's, let, let's be humble. Let's be humble people, which I'll get to in just a second. And then finally, vote your conscience for the platform that best represents your biblical priorities. Vote your conscience for the platform that best represents your biblical priorities. And I was very careful in how I worded this because I know that many people today, they have a problem voting for a person. And, and I totally understand that. But what you need to do is you need to vote for a platform. A platform that best represents the biblical priorities that you have. Because again, there's never gonna be a perfect candidate. And, and, and I'm not standing behind anybody but Jesus. I'll vote because as Jesus says, render to Caesar unto Caesar what is his, render to God what is God's, as a citizen of this country, I'm called to vote. I'm gonna vote, that's a great right, that's a great privilege that I have. And I encourage all of you to vote. But I encourage you to follow this process when you do vote so that you can live out your God consciousness and say this is, this is what my conscience says, God. My hope is ultimately in you, but to give, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, to render to my country what they're asking me to do as a citizen, I'm going to vote. Vote for the platform that best represents your biblical priorities. And then finally, submit to God's law of love regardless of the law of the land. And this this is why I end here. Because it doesn't matter who is elected on November 3rd as far as your walk with God. Do you realize that? Like, what God is calling you to do doesn't change based on who's in office. You're still called to follow Jesus and to live that out in a radical way. And so we abide by the law of love rather than just the law of the land. Romans 13 verse eight, I think it's so interesting that Paul ends this chapter in this way because he talks all about government, government submit to their authority. Here's what they do. He even talks about taxes, giving them taxes. They're supposed to restrain evil, do good. And then in verse eight, he says, "Owe no one, anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So in this context, he was just talking about taxes, about owing the government taxes. And then he says, oh, no one anything except love. And folks, just to be honest, that's what I've seen missing in Christians' conversations when we've talked about this, is love. A genuine love for each other. A genuine love. Respect, And what, what Paul tells us here is you can't say you've loved enough. You, you can't say your love for another brother has run out. You can't cancel them. You still are indebted to love them the way that Christ has loved you. And he's not given up. He still loves you no matter what. See, that's where he ends this is nothing is going to divide us. Nothing should divide us, but Christ should unite us. You see, because if we live that out, then the things that we want to see in our world, we will see. You see, following Jesus leads to a life of integrity, justice, compassion, and truth, not a political party. What this world wants are all of those things. And you know who lives those out best? Jesus. And when we allow Jesus to be alive in us, because it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me, then the world sees these things and they go, that's what I want. And you go, yeah, I didn't find it in the Republicans. And I didn't find it in the Democrats. I found it in Jesus. Follow him, or be as bold as to say what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:1, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. Loving one another, doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. You see, the church will outlast any election, so we must treat fellow believers with honor. Now, I'm not saying that you can't disagree with folks. Uh, we, we, I heard our elder board chairman w- one time say that disagreement does not mean disrespect. And we've got to learn how to have intelligent, respectful conversations as family members. We're in the family. Listen, my family and I, we don't agree on everything. But we try to handle our conversations in a way that there isn't irreparable damage for the future. Because guess what? Tomorrow we're still gonna be related and I still have to go to Thanksgiving. I still have to go to Christmas. And we're still gonna gather on Sunday mornings. We're still gonna be a family. We've gotta learn how to do that. This is kind of a trick question. But do you know what comes before Romans 13? Very good, Romans 12, good. You remember what Romans 12 says? It starts off, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. I love that. Don't be conformed. Don't, and I love that because Christians don't do this to each other. Don't be conformed. Don't be pushed or polarized to either side and say, well, you said this, so you're on that side and I'm not listening to you or you're on that side and I'm not listening to you. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he goes on to say, it talks about how we live as believers before he ever gets to being subject to government. Because there's a priority, we're a citizen of heaven first. And then he goes on to say in verses nine and 10, he says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love this phrase, outdo one another in showing honor. What would our relationships look like if we were striving to outdo each other in showing honor. It would look like the church that Jesus wants. It'd be the church that Jesus is proud of. It'd be the church that, remember we studied the churches in Revelation that he writes back to, and he says, well done, good and faithful Christ Chapel. That's the church I wanna be, a citizen of heaven first but living in this season in a way that reflects that my hope isn't here. All my eggs aren't in this basket, but I've locked arms with you as we follow the Lord together. See, there's, there's plenty of things that we need to pray for, and so that's what we're gonna do right now. Just as I said, this, the, your process needs to start with prayer, and so we're gonna pray right now. So would you bow with me, please? Why don't you just begin and say to God that you pledge your allegiance to him, first and foremost. That you're a citizen of heaven first. Now, would you pray for God's wisdom, God's discernment, and God's mercy in this upcoming season? For you, individually, as a believer. And finally, would you just pray for unity in the body of Christ? That's our church, that's other churches. The big C church as a whole. That the enemy wouldn't be allowed to divide us but we would stand against those schemes. And We would outdo one another in showing honor. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your rule and reign does not rest on society's vote. But you are sovereign and you are in control no matter what anybody thinks of you. And I thank you, Lord God, that we can put our faith in you. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one whose kingdom never ends but goes on and on and on. We pledge our allegiance to you. In Jesus' name, amen.